1895, the state of Ohio had only two automobiles, and wouldn't you know it, they collided. <laughs> so, <laughs> who knows what kind of collision we're going to have in the days ahead. If you dare vote for a decree that God finds abominable and murderous, you will answer to him. God's curse is upon you. How dare you? How dare you? defy him. Strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. When is the time for justice? The time is now. I'm tired of waiting for incremental solutions that never make any increments and never bring solutions. So when is the time for justice? It's now. I said to every sinner, God broke the law for love. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. If the court in a nation is the highest authority, then you've found a God. If the people are the highest authority, then you've found another God. If, if there's no transcendent law governing over this nation or any other nation, then you've found another God. It's never too early to learn that the government is a greedy piglet that suckles on a taxpayer's teat until they have sore, chapped nipples. Take the guns first, go through due process second. Please clap. Just as the church has an obligation to be Christian, just as the family has an obligation to be Christian, just so the school has an obligation to be Christian, and the state, and your calling, and the school, every area of life must recognize Christ as Lord and Savior. Welcome to Cross and Crown Radio, an unapologetically Christian reconstructionist talk show for your edification and enjoyment. Jesus Christ is king, no neutrality, no exile, no surrender. Wow, that Rush Dooney, uh <laughs> How about that? Story. I yep. love it when he laughs. It's not super common when he does, but it's great when he does. Yes. Yeah, anyone who knows... Rush Judy in his commentary knows he likes to have a joke. He likes to have a laugh every once in a while. Little known fact about Rush Judy. Yeah, I, that's I don't even know how you know that story. He read it somewhere. I listened to it. I think it's part of the institutes, uh, the lectures through the institutes, but I can't remember at this yeah. point. Man. That that intro, man. Somebody from the Cross and Crown Studio team needs a gold star for that one. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> how could we even begin to unpack that? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, we'll just unpack the Stephen Furtick nonsense. <laughs> An Maybe. episode just on the intro. Yeah, just oh, the... I have a story about that. We'll yeah. get to it. We'll exegete the intro for everybody. Wow. Well, hey, I'm your host, Jason Garwood. With me in the studio are my friends, John and Jordan. Yo. Howdy, howdy. How are you guys today? Great. Yeah, great. Living the dream. Excited to be here. We need to know, though. We need to know a little bit about you guys. I guess. For our listeners, checking out the very first episode, you probably should give us a little intro, I would think. 
Jordan. All right. Uh, yeah, you. I'm Jordan. I'm uh, nobody, but I'm here in the uh, Northern Virginia area from Warrington here, pursuing the Great Commission with my wife and my four children with a long-term post-millennial outlook. And uh, I'm a contributor at Dad Post Mill, New City Times, American Vision. You can find my personal blog at floatingaxehead.com. Awesome. Did that do it? Yeah. Yeah. That was really good, Jordan. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Covered all your bases. There you go. That's awesome. Well, I'm John. I am a technical writer specializing in training and development here in this northern Virginia area. And I'm also a writer and contributor at um, the American Vision. I also write at kingdomandabolition.com. And I've also written for New City Times. Awesome. Beautiful. Yeah. And I'm Jason. I serve who are as you? the... Uh, who am I? Well, I'm a nobody too. Dr. Jason Garwood. That's 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 sometimes the case, Doctor, depending on what we're talking about. Bishop, pastor, overseer, the whole nine. Sought after speaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, I serve as a teaching pastor at Cross and Crown Church, and my wife is Mary. We have three kids. We are joining up with you guys trying to see Christ exalted here in Northern Virginia. Um, I do some writing on my personal blog, jasongarwood.com. Written a few things here and there for American Vision, our friends over there. And yeah, you can find those stuff uh, online. You can connect with all of us actually online. We'd love to have you as a Facebook friend. If And uh, you can follow some of the things we're talking about. And really for today, we do want to kind of let you know what, what it is we have in store. This is episode number one. Yes. Number one. Parte. The first and only. And we'll see how episode one goes. First and only episode one. <laughs> yeah. No, are we coming every week though? We're going to do this every single week. Every Monday, we want to drop an episode for you as you get ready for the work week, as you are maybe having a commute into the city or out of the city, as it were. Uh, we want to have something for you to enjoy, something that is hopefully edifying, something that is helpful. Yes. We want to talk about basically how to how to apply scripture to all of life. Right. And that's the big thing. So we'll talk about news items. We will certainly talk about theological concepts. We want to break those things down so that so that the listeners are edified, so that we're all encouraged and we're all ultimately spurred on towards the kingdom. That's really what it's all about. Amen. Amen. So that'll happen each week, Lord willing. And uh, we really hope to have some exciting guests on the show too, which I'm looking forward to. Um, trying to talk to folks from all walks of life, just about anything and everything we can you know, talk about. Um, but really, that's the hope. That's the vision. And the question really before us now is, where are we? We're in Warrington. We are in the historic city of Warrington, I should say. Why is it historical? Nestled in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. <laughs> I'm a tour guy. <laughs> this is a commercial. <laughs> this is good. Keep going. Well, Warrington's an interesting town. Um, it's a historic town from a Civil War perspective. It actually changed hands 67 times. Well, 67? During, yeah, 67 times during oh, the wait. Civil War. Uh, we right now are in downtown Warrington, not less than 100 yards from a very historic jail cell where lots of famous people were held and infamous people. Um, John Brown, the abolitionist, was held there before he was taken to be executed at Harper's Ferry. Um, there's just a whole lot of history. There's a, a monument right in front of the uh, the court building to John Marshall, famous Supreme Court justice, longest serving and uh, 
there's a, uh, a monument, nay, an obelisk that uh, is raised to, uh, to uh, commemorate Colonel Mosby, the gray ghost, celebrated uh, general of the South. Yeah. Uh, by some quarters, anyways. And, um, and so there's, yeah, there's a lot of history here. It's, it's not far from D.C. It's actually about 35, 40 miles from D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of rural area. There's suburban. There's sort of city not far um, lots of economic development. Um, so there's, it's just an interesting place with just about everything that you, and it's sort of right in the center of things. So, yeah. Uh, major sort of a cultural clash, if you will. I Absolutely. don't, maybe that sounds too negative. It's not an aggressive clash, but clearly you go a little bit West and you run into the Shenandoah mountains. Mm-hmm. It's right. hilly. It's horse and wine country, yep. which we love. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. You got to come visit. Uh, and then, of course, you go east and you're running into the giant suburb that is the metro D.C. area. Yeah. So you have yeah. a lot of farmers, you have a lot of suburban type feel, but you also have city kind of a conglomerate, I guess, for all of that kind of stuff. So episode number one, we want to talk a little bit with you about why. Why Crossing Crown Radio? Why would we do something like this? Are we doing anything different, something special? What is our hope? What is the purpose? And I thought it'd be great for us to sort of just talk about first, really Crossing Crown Radio isn't even a thing if Crossing Crown Church isn't a thing. Right, right, exactly. So we do need to talk about We want to go back and sort of share with you, our beloved listeners, a little bit about the history, just so you know, sort of the exciting story that is the Crossing Crown Church itself. And really, in a lot of ways, Jordan, it dates back to you and I, mm-hmm. um, back when the meme wars were in their heyday, uh, the 2014, 2015. The Facebook eschatology meme wars of yeah. 2015, yeah. of which few survived. This P- is Postmill obviously won. <laughs> Postmill always Yeah, it ended, wins. and there was a winner. Yes, it just always <laughs> is that way. Now, for some of you, this could be maybe you know dating back too far, but this was before the GIF you actually had a meme the with GIF. <laughs> no, no, it's it's a gift. Okay, GIF. yeah, it's a gift. Canadian thing. I don't know. The pastor says gifts. Yeah. <laughs> Before we you submit. could give a, I don't know, beautiful gift response to someone, you actually had to have an app where you had to type in a meme, and then you had to drop it in Facebook. Man, those were the days. It's, it was hard back then. <laughs> it oh, was man. very challenging sort of retort back with your cleverness in a meme it was a fun time but through that we forged a bond didn't we we did <laughs> we did and and really even john too um before john yep. moved here we all sort of got to know each other through the medium of facebook and i was pastoring a large church in the middle of nowhere in michigan and we sort of got to know each other yeah that's right which is awesome yeah. Praise God. And so, Jason, I kind of um, prayed that you would be led to Virginia. And uh, <laughs> I think the Lord answered that prayer. Yeah. And here you are. And so, you know, sort of leaving a established position as a senior pastor at a fairly large church and then coming here to decide to plant the church. What were you thinking, man? Yeah. <laughs> I still ask myself that question. I mean, you have a huge salary now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Church planting yeah. is lucrative, let me tell you. Um, you know what? Honestly, I think the big turn for me is I started preaching through the book of Acts. It was really, 
was really around that time where abolitionism became more real and palpable to me. I never really had considered it. Yeah, that's actually um, how I first met you. Mm -hmm. I believe we were in Austin. Yes. And we marched together. And I think I just talked to you off the whole time. And uh, we had hung out and had pizza with several other good brothers. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a good time. Talked about Calvinism and... Wait, wait, wait. You guys are abolitionists? No. Abolitionists, yeah. Oh, abolitionists of human abortion. Yeah. Well, we're abolitionists in a, not a lot, in a of, lot things. of ways. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> we, there's a lot of things we would like to abolish, but that's for another episode. Uh, yeah, that's when you and Maybe I first met. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, back to back to Michigan. I'm I'm preaching through Acts, and I'm conflicted with the way the church is, and the way the church probably should be. And this isn't just sort of a pie in the sky. Oh, look at the Book of Acts, where they got together in houses and prayed together. Well, no, it's bigger than that. They served the kingdom. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about programs and million-dollar budgets and you know cool signage and all this other stuff. Um, some of those can be a tool, no doubt. Right. But for me, it became a conviction that I needed to be in the game. I needed to to not be in the bleachers. And really, yeah, Jordan, you had asked me several times, "Come out here and plant a church," and I said no. And and then I said yes, and, <laughs> and it was a big deal. I mean, we, we had a good salary. We had, you know, for all intents and purposes, a, a job security. Cushy, one yeah. might say. Um, and it just became a reality, a burden, frankly. And honestly, decision-making, <laughs> you need to do the right thing. Start with that, and mm -hmm. that'll help you make your decision, whatever yeah. it is. Do the right thing and know God's word. That way you can do the right thing. So, so that yeah. was a little over a year ago that that yep. all happened. And ever since we've been sort of doing the work of the kingdom here in, in Warrenton and uh, some families have since come to join us. Uh, so it's been really uh, a challenging, wonderful time. I don't know, if, you know, just as yeah, how to sum it up, but it's been a very full, uh, you know, it's been wonderful. Um, not without challenge and not without, um, you know, lots of opportunities that we are excited about in the future. But um, I think like the long answer for why, you know, the church and, and now why Cross and Crown Radio is we all recognize that there's a issue in the United States of America. And that is that the nation is being dominated by the worship of foreign gods and specifically secular humanism. It is in our schools, it is in business, it is in sports, it is in government, it is in the arts, it's in every area of life, it's dominating. And uh, to whatever extent America was Christian prior to the 1960s, over the past 50 years, America has been discipled, but it's been discipled by Satan and his forces. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we want to say, okay, what has been going on over the past 50 years? Um, you know, what does our gospel look like? And we're getting there. Um, what does our Great Commission look like? What's our view of the law? Um, what's our church culture like? Um, what is our eschatology like? Um, you know, all of these areas um, are things that are contributing, we believe, to the current state and, and something that we feel we need to address. Yeah. And it, it didn't just become this defunct disaster in one night. It wasn't an accident. Yeah. So we can't just sort of throw up our hands and say, oh, well, what happened? I thought I was voting the right way. There has to be a serious acknowledgement and assessment of everything. Everything, right. Everything's on the table from, from how we do church, how we organize ourselves, how, how we function as salt and light, or at least how we're not functioning as it were. Those things all have to be on the table. And that's 
yeah, that's part of the why behind Crossing Ground Radio. We want to we want to talk about those things. Absolutely. Yeah. So probably in a little bit, we're going to take a break here shortly. But we want to cover today a few key things that we think are absolutely important. One of them is the gospel. What is the gospel? How do how are we going to define the gospel? And we want to obviously encourage you, the listeners, so that you um, sort of see a hopefully a bigger view of it, a bigger pictured gospel. Um, Jordan, you have something really exciting I want to talk about. We'll, oh, yeah. get, we'll get to that. Um, and then lastly, we do have some comments we'd like to, to share, especially regarding abortion, um, the March for Life that happened last week. The Yeah, Jason, I was going to ask you about that. How did that, weren't you at that? Yes. Or how did that go? Yeah. Well, it, it was an interesting experience. That was the first time I'd ever been to one. And you were just pr- participating in the march? Or? No, no way. I was not there to participate. Oh, wow. <laughs> so go ahead. Why were you there? Why were you there? <laughs> well, we were there to agitate the pro-life community. And you might ask, why would you agitate people? We're on the same team, right? We're marching for life. We don't like abortion. We want it to end, right? Well, okay. 46 years of marching and we're not really making any bit of progress on it. So we went to agitate and there was a few of us there, Brother Ron, friends of ours, friends of Crossing Crown, um, and Jonathan, some other good brothers that were there. And we set up shop with some signs intentionally agitating the pro-life community, um, did some preaching. Um, a little clip was posted on the Crossing Crown Facebook page. Um, and the whole goal really was for us to seed the abolitionist ideology. We want people to not compromise on these issues. I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later, but absolutely, we don't want to compromise. We want to be active in many different ways. Not, not, not only giving diapers to the CPC, not, not only thinking that our vote, you know, for the Republican ticket is going to be the answer. We want to be activists. There are lots of ways to do that. So we challenged them and it was, it was really good. There was a lot of great conversations that happened. I didn't realize how Roman Catholic, I mean, I knew that it was really organized as such. Yeah. I saw some statues there. <laughs> yeah. A lot I mean, of ma- chanting to Mary. Yeah. Um, Hail Mary's. Mary, they believe in a lot of ways, she's the new Ark of the Covenant. So they have the poles and they march around. I don't fully truthfully understand the theology of that. Um, but yeah, lots of lots of chanting. Lot, I mean, half a million people. It was no small thing. But I think it was successful, at least for us. Some of the conversations we had. Um, yeah, it's definitely. We cannot. We can't think that marching once a year is going to be the answer. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to talking about that more here in a little bit. Yeah. Well, hey, we're going to take a quick break. We are excited to have you listening. The very first episode. We're going to come back with a lot of good content. Hopefully, we want to talk about the gospel. Jordan's article, something powerful he wrote in response to a Desiring God tweet. No less. Oh, wow. Desiring God. Desiring God. So, we will be back shortly. Thanks for listening. Hang on tight. Rappers ranting, raving, inflame verbs to your nerve endings. Literally feeling these words in my tendons and rattling occupants of the venue sinews. Why the eulogy be orchestrating continuous crescendos? Excellent, been down since Exodus. Like, what if the Egyptians and Israelites joined forces? That would force a forfeit. And it's hard to drive hard when your hard drive keeps needing a force quit. 
to learn to speak immigrants the language of the broken like the system in their english how many books do you know of that address topics of education and welfare, local government, state government, taxation, money and banking, free markets, courts, war and the military, and the executive power? How many books do you know actually talk about these topics from a biblical perspective and set forth all of the issues, the ideas, the history, and the hurdles, and the blueprints for the way forward? Hi, I'm Joel McDermott with AmericanVision.org. In Restoring America One County at a Time, I cover all these topics and more, showing you how America was once free, how those freedoms were lost, and giving you an uncompromising biblical approach to get those freedoms back. I focus on practical steps, local solutions, personal sacrifices, and it has a multi-generational vision. So don't just sit around talking about Restoring America. Actually do something. And you can start by getting my book, Restoring America One County at a Time, at AmericanVision.org. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Amen to that. Welcome Amen. back to Cross and Crown Radio. And uh, in light of what we already talked about really in the first segment, we want to spend some time talking about... The gospel. Why is the gospel important? Why does it Why does it matter? Why is it really foundational for us, for everything we're trying to do here locally in, in Warrington and in, and in our county and in, and in the state of Virginia? As we, as we think about what it means to labor for the kingdom of God, we need to have sort of our, our theological ducks in a row. To some degree, we want to know what the gospel is. So why cross and crown? What is the gospel? How does it tie to that? What are your guys' thoughts? Well, first of all, you know, we, let's start with cross. We call ourselves cross and crown. And so let's start with the cross. We believe in Christ and him crucified. God died on the cross for our sins. And we're all sinners. We cannot save ourselves. We're Calvinists. We're black coffee jet fuel Calvinists. Pipe hitting. <laughs> Pipe hitting. <laughs> Throw that in there too. Sure, why not? But yes, we believe in Christ and him crucified. But who is Christ? And I think oftentimes what's forgotten is that Christ is our high priest. Isn't he's Christ Jesus' last name? I don't, I don't know. Is Christ just his last name? No, I think it means something more so. than that. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, was, <laughs> no, was it Joseph Christ, his dad? No, I don't <laughs> no, know. No, that's, no, that's no. what we would call blasphemy. Christ was not on the mailbox outside right. the house. No, Christ is a title. It means he's mm -hmm. the Messiah. Mm -hmm. He's the one who comes to wash the world from it sins. It's, he's, he comes to make all things right, and we mean all things. I think that's where we might depart from at least some other uh, those some others uh, within the Reformed community. Uh, obviously, everybody who's Reformed, who's a Calvinistic, they believe in you know, penal substitutionary atonement. You know, they believe in Christ and Him crucified, uh, and they believe that Christ is the Messiah and they're good brothers. And that kind of leads into well, what about the crown? 
Yeah. What about right. the crown? Right. Because Christ, he he accomplished his mission through his death, burial, and, re- burial and resurrection and his ascension. He accomplished his mission. But as a result, and this was always the promise of what the good news of the Messiah was in the Old Testament, which was the Bible that the early church had, the result of what his work does was a, an inherited kingdom. Right. And that kingdom had a law and that kingdom had justice. The kingdom had a king. Right. And so the establishment of justice goes hand in hand. It's not in um, tension with or in opposition to his uh, atoning for sin and his uh, his resurrection. Like it's in perfect harmony. Right. Priesthood. It's in perfect harmony with that. And so uh, just just, you know, the atonement, the resurrection of Christ is the most precious thing we could possibly think about, but also adding to that, that Christ has inherited all rule and all authority is also an aspect of the gospel that we need to keep in, in mind that he's an inherited in, in reality, all authority and rule over the nations. That's a wonderful aspect of the gospel and that Christ is, is king of the nations is no less precious than the fact that he's savior of your soul. That's a wonderful thing. We can't be divorcing the offices of Jesus Christ. Right. Amen. You know, he is our high priest. He is our advocate. He is mm-hmm. the reason why we are saved from our sins. But we can't divorce Christ. We can't divorce Jesus from his kingship. Amen. You know, Christ and him crucified, that is a sufficient and very concise way of explaining the gospel. Mm-hmm. We're not opposed to that at all. Mm-hmm. However, like when Orthodox believers, when Reformed Christians speak of the death of Christ, it's it's never divorced from the resurrection. It's never divorced from the ascension of Christ. It, it, it's all a package deal and you can't divorce the death from the resurrection, and the ascension, you cannot do that. And that ascension directly speaks to the kingly inauguration of Christ, just mm-hmm. like what you're saying, Jordan. Mm-hmm. So Christ and him crucified. All I have to say about that is amen. Amen. But who is Christ? Who is Jesus? He is our high priest, but he is also King. Yeah. I think the, the other sort of expanding that I think what we have done is sort of, decontextualize the person of Christ from his work. And here's what I mean. We sort of, we, we affirm, yes, he died for my sins. And, and what's the gospel? Well, Jesus died for my sins. And, and yeah, that, that is a facet, this multifaceted thing, the gospel. That's a huge part of it. It's the foundation. The atonement of Christ is the foundation of the good news. Absolutely. Um, but, but I would say that that is, you know, that's the foundation of the house. We don't look at a house and say, oh, look at that great foundation. We're looking at the shutters. We're looking at the siding. We're looking at the roofing. We're looking at the whole package deal here. So this, what I mean by decontextualizing the gospel is we sort of take Jesus away from his Jewishness, from the history of Israel that was all coming to a head. We take him out of that and we just look at his actions as central as they are in his atoning death and his resurrection and his ascension, right? Daniel 7, he's seated on high. The Son of Man has come to the Ancient of Days. Amen. So all of that is this package deal. Yeah. When when we first came back in from commercial, I read a verse and it said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. And this is from Jeremiah. This is the Old Testament. What's the promise? What's this good news? When I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and what will he do? And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. So there we have 
penal substitutionary atonement. He is our righteousness. But we also have right there the good news of his justice and the establishment of his kingdom. Yeah. That's a very good news. Yeah. That is a very good news. Not just for individuals being saved, but for all the world. And I like what you were saying about divorcing him from like his Jewishness and even his ministry. It's like we're taking the gospel out of the gospels. Yeah. Like where can we really even find the gospel in the gospels? Obviously, penal substitutionary atonement, the atonement, the death on the cross, that's all part of the gospel story, a central and necessary part. But what did Christ preach? What was Christ's gospel presentation? It was the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The very first words out of his mouth in the book of Mark. Well, well, I have a question. Was Jeremiah adding to the gospel when he said that part of the good news was that the Messiah would execute justice and righteousness in the in the land? Well, here's wasn't he adding to the gospel when he <laughs> said that? Wait, are you saying Jeremiah is guilty? <laughs> Is he? Uh, is he? Oh, is it the Galatian heresy? Wait, yeah. My point is, for everyone who thinks that the establishment of justice is not part of the gospel, I would challenge you to open up the minor and the major prophets and read them. Yeah. And then ask yourself if the establishment of justice is not part, a central definitional component, just like the penal substitutionary atonement aspect of the gospel. It's unavoidable. Well, here's yeah. here's something I would maybe I'll write on this. I think it's a good topic. Yeah, but absolutely. One thing. <laughs> yeah, yes. Whenever any of us say that to it, we're yeah, you should write. Yeah, that. you're you going to it. now. We're going to hold you <laughs> yeah, accountable, yeah. Pastor. But I, 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 and NT Wright has done some great work in oh, this area. Now you've triggered oh, someone. No, you've no. triggered someone. Are you saying NT Wright has only said true things ever? <laughs> That's that must be what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. So there's this thing called Voldemort. Voldemort. Right? Yeah, yeah. Spitting well, out the bones. Okay, so I'm 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 studying. We're doing. Um, for Cross and Crown Church, I'm preaching on the Samaritan woman, an amazing passage, so much there. And one of the things at the end of that passage in verse 42, the Samaritans, you know, they hear the testimony of the woman and they come to see Jesus, you know, come see this man who told me everything I ever did. She, they all come and they acknowledge that he's savior of the world, right? Nicodemus can't get it. And now these guys get it. Mm-hmm. So there's all this play, you know, in the gospel of John. But what is interesting historically so Herod built this giant statue um, about 10 miles from Jacob's well, Syker or Shechem in the Old Testament, where, where Jacob's well was built. And that's still there today, even today. But um, Herod built this huge thing in honor of Augustus because Herod you know, really needed to impress his overlord. <laughs> and the Soter, the savior, was the emperor. And no one thinks... You know, he, he was the, he was the savior of the world. He, he, he was the son of God. Even he was divine. He was the divine Augustus Caesar. No one thinks when they look at that, that, that Caesar had done one thing. And that's the only thing we should focus on. Caesar brought with him a worldview. He brought with him a context Mm -hmm. and he brought with him. I'm going to use social order. Thank you. You stole it right out of my mouth. I knew, I knew it was, you knew, right. Yeah, I knew it was so. So why are we to think anything less than what Jesus Christ has come to do? And for me, I've always just said the gospel is absolutely a royal announcement first. It's it's news. It's a royal announcement announcement. And that announcement has this content with it. And the content is that Jesus Christ has been established as king, right? He has all authority, he has control, he has authority, he has presence. To quote John Frame's triperspectivalism. And and good job, Frame. Ooh. We love it, Dr. Frame. Uh, 
he has all these things. And with that, though, are his covenant stipulations. So this is a huge gospel. This isn't Jesus died for my sins. That's not even the only aspect, as foundational as it is. That's not the only thing. There are so much, there's so many more facets to it. And we have to stop truncating it. But you said that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. But I thought Jesus said that my kingdom is not of this world. Hmm. Uh-oh. So doesn't that kind of put a wrench into things? Yeah. Not to put you on Boy, the spot. That's, I, guess, I guess Matthew, mm-hmm. what Jesus said in Matthew 28 is contradictory to what he yeah, said it in must the gospel be. Yeah. of John. I mean, <laughs> well, shoot. <laughs> you have to question but, everything but now. But Jesus, he's, is he just the king of heaven? Is that? No. This is, it's talking about next question. <laughs> Wait, short answer, no. Long answer, no. no. In, in short, it's talking about the origin of the authority. Yeah. Is his power from earth or is his power from heaven? Yeah. Mm-hmm. His power, it's from heaven. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm of Oklahoma because I'm from Oklahoma. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I always have to just be in Oklahoma. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, let's just think about this a little bit more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Christ's power as king over the world. It all comes from heaven, right. but it's a power that affects, that is established, that mm-hmm. definitely penetrates in and out all around the world. Mm-hmm. And all I, yeah, why do people miss that? They, it, just keep reading. Just it's keep like reading. they stop. My kingdom is <laughs> not of this world. What does he say? Well, if if it's it a good were, argument. if it were of this world, what Servants would happen? Would fight. Exactly, we would play the Caesar game, right? And where yeah. would the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, would expand by force. You know, you either surrender to Rome or we right. will kill you. Oh, what are we supposed to do there? Right. Jesus was saying, it's, my kingdom is not a rinky-dink Roman kingdom or a Assyrian kingdom or, you know, he's not playing by those rules of earthly power. He has heavenly authority. And the authority of heaven doesn't stop at the pearly gates. It extends to earth. So that when he says, my kingdom is not of this world, he's not letting the kings of the world off the hook. They're not like, phew, he's only the king of heaven. We yeah. can just go on as normal. No. What does it say in the Psalms? That, you know, kiss the sun, kings of the earth, I'm paraphrasing, and shudder. Psalm 2. Psalm yeah. 2. Right. Um, so the, that that Jesus is is has a heavenly kingdom should make the earthly kings shudder if they're defying him. Yeah. And, and it will. And it will. And, yes. Yeah. And in the meantime, though, the prophetic role of the church is to ensure that they know that. That's yeah. the other thing is is we have a responsibility now. Mm-hmm. now to ensure that yes, I mean in our situation we need to elect leaders who will actually obey Christ and not just give them lip, lip service. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, the, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but it doesn't affect how I legislate. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> exactly, and when we can't do that, and even if we could do that, we're still offering a prophetic witness to the world, sometimes against the culture. This concept of being for the like against the world for the world. Yeah, yeah. the The other thing I was thinking about too in this conversation is in First Corinthians fifteen. I, I've I heard once um, I can't I can't remember the name of the conference now. It was in Lansing, Michigan, in the middle of winter. Who does that? <laughs> but I remember John Piper was there, and he great he gave this excellent exposition of the first few verses of First Corinthians fifteen. Okay, you know I'm not ashamed of the gospel, or excuse me, that's Romans one. Um, but he says, oh, I would remind you of the gospel, brothers. That, you know, Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised according to the scriptures. And like he stops. Every sermon I've ever heard in the Reformed community, they just sort of stop as if that's the only aspect of the gospel. Paul never stops. He keeps talking. <laughs> Jesus revealed himself. It sounds like a pretty good hermeneutic. Just 
keep on reading. Just keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> it's the crossing ground hermeneutic. Well, just keep reading. We're going to talk about hermeneutics here in a minute. Well, I, mean, I was also <laughs> going to I was just not to bring up Piper. You know, we're going to talk about that. But uh, I, I was just thinking this whole um, this whole idea that if you with um, expo- expositional preaching, you know, expository preaching, mm-hmm. sort of pride yourself on verse by verse. Okay, well, that that can be helpful. But mm-hmm. if you stop reading, you miss it. And what does Paul do in First Corinthians 15? He talks about the resurrection. Mm-hmm. If the resurrection is futile, or our faith is futile. Then he says this powerful thing around verse 26. He must reign until all his enemies are put under his feet. That is part of the gospel. <laughs> That's just, he keeps going yep. in the very end of that chapter. So, you know, work hard cause your work's not in vain. Why do people stop Jordan? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and, and so that's something I'd like to address. And, and it has to do with the concept of Christians and our view of, uh, working and prosperity and wealth and blessing has to do with the prosperity gospel. Um, now before we get into this, let's just acknowledge about the prosperity gospel. Yes, the prosperity gospel is a wicked evil. Uh, we do not come to Jesus so that we can be rich, uh, so that we can make much of ourselves. We do not uh, use Jesus for stuff, right? Uh, we don't promise him to others so they you can get stuff. You can't just pray for a Lamborghini. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and prosperity preachers who take passages that were written to nations for nations uh, broadly, and who then take those passages and apply them to individuals, they're charlatans, okay? And they're, they're destroying the credibility of those promises um, in, in the eyes of those who would latch onto them like it was true. And so let's just get that out of the way. The prosperity gospel is utter crap, okay? Um, it's scubula. Scubalon? <laughs> it's, it's a doctrine Scubalon. of demons. How much more can we be clear about? It robs the, you know, the church of credibility when, when they're preaching the cross, uh, prosperity gospel, puts forth money as an idol and as a false god. Um, we should also acknowledge that um, the ultimate blessing upon mankind, uh, that blessing, the blessing that makes all other blessings possible, comes in the form in, of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about blessing. Christ is the ultimate blessing. All other blessing pales in comparison. Amen. Uh, he's the culmination of it all. All the promises that were promised to Abraham uh, and to those who were in Abraham by faith. So we want to be 100% clear on what we think of the prosperity gospel. Now that said, we do still have to deal with what the Bible actually teaches about wealth and prosperity in a way that doesn't lead us to a false poverty, a poverty gospel. A gospel that leads to sort of a asceticism, as mentioned in the New Testament, mm-hmm. um, even a, a Ludditism. Um, Almost a, a Gnostic dualism, uh-huh. separating the spiritual from the material too strongly. Yes, a, a gospel that even glamorizes poverty, a, a gospel that has no category for either poverty as a curse or financial uh, prosperity as a blessing. Um, when the Bible does clearly have that category rightly understood, um, and uh, a gospel that sees suffering and, and poverty not as something to be joyfully accepted in the pursuit of victory, but as an end to pursue in itself. Hmm. Okay. And so let's get into the context for this and what happened. Um, yeah. What was, what was the thing that, because yeah. you, you wrote an article. Right. So a week or two ago, I got something in my inbox from a libertarian friend of mine. Uh, he's asking about this uh, recent tweet from Desiring God. And uh, that's a ministry affiliated with John Piper. By the way, John Piper... Love the man. He's done wonderful things. He's blessed me in my understanding of Calvinism when I was a younger oh, yeah. Christian. Same here. He has a lot to do with why I'm a Calvinist. Right. I could go on and on about things I disagree with him on. Sure. 
Still love them. Still respect them. Absolutely. Yeah, still disagree with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that possible? Can you do that? <laughs> Nuance. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so uh, this libertarian, a friend of mine, he's not a theonomist by any stretch of the, of the imagination, but he's intrigued by some of what us Reconstructionists have been saying, generally speaking. So he wants to know what I as a Reconstructionist think about this tweet. And this tweet, I think, is a bit of a microcosm for a lot of the perspective we often hear from these sorts of ministries on the topic of wealth. So here it is. Ready? Yeah. It's a short quote, but it's thought-provoking. And who tweeted it? Desiring God. It's Desiring it. God. Yeah. And it's, we're not sure exactly who. And here's the tweet. Quote, the New Testament has 112 references to being blessed, and not one of them is connected to material prosperity. End quote. The New Testament has 112 references to being blessed, and not one of them is connected to material prosperity. Now, from what this tweet is implying, we can only guess what they're implying. We might have an idea, but we know full well what some people are inferring from this tweet. <laughs> um, there's just going to be people who are going to hear a lot of things and, and make a lot of conclusions from this tweet. So the, what are those inferences that people could be making? Well, one is that the Old Testament teaching on the connection between blessing and material prosperity is no longer valid. Another might be that the Old Testament blessings were material, whereas New Testament blessings are immaterial. Mm. Uh, another might be that in the New Testament, whatever connection was in place between blessing and material prosperity has now changed in the New Covenant, and now blessing is not connected to material prosperity, um, or the connection is, is minimized or relatively unimportant. And finally, a possible inference is that we should not seek material prosperity in the New Covenant or consider it as a blessing to be desired, or see poverty as a curse to be avoided in some cases. So naturally, we have to ask ourselves, does the New Testament contain no validation of the connection between blessing and material prosperity? And if so, does that rescind Old Testament teaching, which you know is implied that was there, at least it used to be? And, and if it doesn't, then what do we do with that Old Testament teaching on that connection between blessing and material prosperity? And then just speaking practically in our own life, should Christians see material prosperity as a curse to be avoided um, as it ties us to the things of this world and distracts us from the heavenly destination where we can't take our, our material blessing and so forth, right? So these are questions that, that we have to ask. And, and there's a number of factors that we need to keep in mind as we address these questions. So first of all, we have to lay out some principles of hermeneutics, which is just a fancy way of saying laws for interpreting the Bible if we want to get our interpretation right. So let's look at the first principle. We always look at the Bible as a whole. Anytime we look at a passage, we have to be mindful of where this passage is within the context of the full Bible story. The story of the Bible isn't just fall and redemption. The pattern is creation, fall, redemption, new creation. So in some instances, redemption and new creation in this age bleed together. We have an already not yet aspect. We can talk more about that later. Inaugurated, consummated aspect. Uh, but it's still a progression, okay? And the Bible is also not just Old Covenant and New Covenant. It's also a series of ages. First, it's the Old Covenant age. Then during the time period where the New Covenant was written, it's an overlapping age between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant age. This overlapping uh, period, it actually looks forward to future ages to come. And that would be both the age that we reside in now, which is an age completely devoid of any remnant of the Old Covenant age. Remember in Hebrews 8.13, it talks about... Um, what is being made obsolete and what is about to vanish away. Something from the old covenant was still going on in those days. And so we have to look at, okay, so the New Testament was written during that period. What do we take from that? And then the final age is at the consummation, which we look forward to. So we have to understand when we read our Bibles, 
uh, we have to know these things or we're going to apply things in the wrong way. It's the keep on reading. How we did it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, understand the story and then keep on reading. Well, and it's also too, real quick, I'm just thinking about, you know, the the reformed, you know, we beat our chest in sola scriptura and we, we sort of forget the tota scriptura. So, right. We need the microscope sometimes, but we also mm-hmm. need the telescope. Yeah. We need to look exactly. at it. We need, it's a great we need way both of those. Mm-hmm. And another principle is that we've just got to remember that who the immediate, this is where we get to the microscope, who the immediate audience was that was being addressed in any given passage, and then take into account how they, given their cultural context, would have understood what is happening to them, what is being um, written to them in order to properly calibrate the application for today. So all that to say, our theology of wealth and prosperity and blessing cannot start in the New Testament and just invalidate everything else. We're not New Testament Christians. We're not Old Testament Christians. We're biblical Christians. So we don't just start in the New Testament. Um, We don't start there. We don't even start just with Israel. We actually start in the garden, which is where the Bible starts, right? Um, We start in Eden. And what do we see in in Eden in Genesis 1 and 2? We see that God's initial design in creation did did include a connection between blessing and material prosperity for all humanity. This connection was not a defect. It was not introduced as a result of the fall. It predated the fall. And so therefore, there's nothing in that dynamic that needed to be rectified by Christ or the new covenant. It was in creation um, right from the beginning. Because Adam, he was a caretaker of the garden. and He was a good caretaker. Caretaker. He was good. That was a good thing that he was doing that. And we see that Genesis 1 and 2. God lays out his purpose for Adam and Eve. The mandate was that they would go forth and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. They were to flourish, prosper throughout many generations. All humanity, this was the plan, was to pursue material prosperity, abundance, and dominion. And this was to be done joyfully, without greed, without malice, without envy, and as unto the Lord, in order to glorify him. Adam and Eve were God's people under his rule with a task for them. And there was no tension between the pursuit of the material uh, abundance and prosperity and um, and giving glory to God in that. And so this pursuit did result in blessing for man and was honoring to God. And it's a feature of the dominion covenant. Right. That's right. So that you have to argue that that was rescinded, which you can't anyway, because the same themes are carried out even just a few chapters later. Exactly. And then, and then if we fast forward in Christ, why are we redeemed? Why are we uh, made alive in Christ? Well, the answer is, is in Ephesians, it tells us to for the purpose of good works, that we might do good works. And and that's the reason we're being redeemed and restored. All of this is dependent on the continuing relationship between blessing and prosperity, including material prosperity. And so we're we're God's workmanship. We're created in Christ for good works, which Christ prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that's not point number one. There's no original conflict between blessing and material prosperity. Point number two, there is prosperity as a creational ordinance for human flourishing. And then there's also a covenantal prosperity and cursings for nations corporately. So in his covenant with creations that we just talked about in in Genesis 1 and 2, it's also reaffirmed in Genesis 9, God has set up some dynamics that simply don't change. They're predictable. They're constant. So the covenant was made for his people to live under his rule, but also as a means of benefit for all humanity. So the sun comes up, the sun goes down. Seasons change predictably. Water cycle. Uh, astronomical movement, gravity, inertia, photosynthesis, supply and demand, labor and reward. Um, This covenant with creation is a blessing and produces material prosperity indirectly for all of mankind, but was made for his people. 
Okay, and that's why we can continue to see verses like this in Proverbs. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desire of the diligent are fully satisfied. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk ends only to poverty. So mm. um, those who think that material wealth and prosperity can come about without diligent effort and, and disciplined work ethic, they, they won't be blessed. Uh, those who recognize the world they live in and act accordingly, they will be blessed. Well, isn't this just part of what it means to think covenantally? It is. like The, the third point of the covenantal model, which we are going to talk about in depth another time, that's like ethics, like how, how you work. Are you being faithful according to the law word of God? And then the fourth point is sanctions. And that can be negative sanctions if you're being unfaithful or positive sanctions and you know, as in blessings. This is all just part of thinking covenantal. Absolutely. And that does and that completely undercuts this sort of genie in a bottle nonsense that's perpetuated. Exactly. It on just TBN. means what we do matters. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, what we will see is there's something that does override at times this dynamic. And that is if you're living in a country that is apostatized and has rejected God's laws corporately. So sometimes if you're living in an apostate country, it doesn't matter how well you observe the the, uh, creational ordinance. If you're in a country that is rejecting God and his laws, it's not going to go well for you. So what was going on in the New Testament? We have to ask ourselves in the context of the covenantal history, redemptive history, what was going on in the New Testament. That brings us to point three. God blesses nations covenantally and corporately to their fidelity to his laws, and not just Israel, by the way. Even in the Old Testament, we see God had these same expectations for other nations that were around Israel. He's already cursing them and kicking them out, spewing them out of the land for their failure to obey his laws. Before it was even given to Israel, he was already doing this. Leviticus 20, 22 and 23. Even in... um, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them. So he's saying this to Israel, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out, and you shall walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you. Sorry. And you shall not walk in the customs (laughs) of the nations that I am driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. He goes on to talk about how God kicked those nations out of the land for their breaking of his law. Um, and so the point here is that God blesses nations who are faithful to uphold his statutes and he curses those who are not. Even nations that weren't like his own chosen nation. Yes. So God upheld his law to foreign nations that yes. weren't Israel. So there could have been a, a young little boy in, in um, some Canaanite nation who was really working hard and he was, um, you know, observing, you know, the supply and demand and he was, you know, <laughs> a little being responsible or something, but sorry, the rest yeah. of the covenantal nation he was in, um, you know, it was, it was covenantally opposed to God. So that sort of overrid that. So just and to keep them. And don't forget Exodus when you have an unleashing of God's sanctions against Egypt mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and who was the firstborn who died. Exactly. It was Pharaoh's firstborn. Right. And so, um, you know, we, the point here is that, that, uh, God, sometimes in his providence, God will raise up a nation to prosperity temporarily. So he can use that nation to judge and destroy another nation, including Israel. And then he still holds that nation accountable. He still judges that nation and holds them responsible for their own evil. Uh, one failure of the prosperity preachers is that they sometimes take these, again, as I mentioned before, these biblical promises or curses, which were given to whole nations, and they apply them individually, run into all kinds of problems. Yeah. But on the other hand, okay, 
this failure of interpretation that prosperity teachers, teachers make shouldn't allow us to get the idea that God no longer deals with nations covenantally for their collective sin either. Uh, it's exactly why in the New Testament, when we read it, we see no promise of wealth given individually to those who are living in a nation currently under the judgment of God. 8070 was right around the corner. Christ prophesied about its imminent destruction. He was saying, get out of here. It's all coming down. Um, during the, the writing of the Old Testament, Israel was about to incur the vengeance of Christ upon a nation like no other time in history. So it should not surprise us that in the New Testament, the encouragement to the faithful remnant in Israel who would not escape the persecution to come was that they would reap their reward in heaven, right? right. That should not surprise us that that was going on. So that's point three. God still blesses nations, and it leads us to the last point, which is that there's no promise of individual material prosperity, even from the standpoint of a creational ordinance um, in the midst of a country who's wholesale rejected God's laws. And I know we've touched on that. Um, and the key to really understanding what is going on in the New Testament, the wealth of Jerusalem was about to be destroyed. Persecution was only going to get worse uh, in that generation. So the people needed to understand the times that they lived with and use their wealth accordingly. So it doesn't just also um, accord to wealth. It also accords to other things like whether you get married or not. Paul, in his epistle to the Corinthians, was exhorting them, if you're a slave, don't seek your freedom. If you're married, don't get divorced. If you're unmarried, don't get married. Uh, for the appointed time is growing short. For um, in light of the current distress. So he's talking about the persecution that was going on in those days. We can't then just extricate those kind of passages and then just sort of cavalierly apply them for all of Christendom and all of history and not look at the covenantal situation, uh, not look at the, the cultural situation, the persecution situation, the, the state of the nation that you're in. We have to sort of do a better, more careful job of ex exegeting these scriptures in the broader context of what's going on so that we don't make wrong applications. Yeah, that's the nail in the new covenant coffin right <laughs> because that's the that's the absolute crux of it just our hermeneutical that's a big word i can say it uh <laughs> differences i mean when we wholesale abandon deuteronomy 28 and leviticus 26 and we we see god you said earlier jordan this predict god's predictable and you don't like in a lot of ways he's not but in that way, we can affirm that because he's revealed himself. He's revealed himself. We know what to expect. We have his law. We have the ethical standard by which we are to abide by. And when we don't, those things come to us. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. On, anyway. like a, on like a normative basis. Yeah. Right. right. And, and yeah. The, bo the bottom line of all of this, we need to use our wealth and not just material wealth, but all our giftings, everything. We need to use it for kingdom purposes. There's right. no vow of poverty that puts you in a higher plane of spirituality. Pursue wealth, not for the love of money, but to use wealth as a tool to bless exactly. others and to build things and to advance Christendom and to build your family, to provide an inheritance for your children and for your grandchildren. As it says in the Proverbs, wealth is not a dirty word. Yeah. Wow. One thing that you said that I really liked is obviously everybody talks about the prosperity gospel. And just like what you were saying, Jordan, it's terrible. It's downright heretical, mm -hmm. the way a lot of pastors talk about it, at mm -hmm. least. Uh, but you also, you mentioned the idea of a poverty gospel. It mm -hmm. really reminded me of a book that I read years and years ago. Goodness, it must have been over 10 years ago uh, by Shane Claiborne, who's a, basically a Christian socialist. I'm not even sure if the man's a brother. I, I don't know. I haven't really looked up his, uh, 
looked him up in years and years. So sure. I don't want to say one way or the other, but I do know that he essentially taught this sort of um, guilt manipulating. You need to give away all your money and be poor for Jesus mentality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to kind of sum up everything we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. You don't really have to be poor for Jesus. Mm-hmm. You need to be using whatever giftings you have and whatever Jesus has given to us sovereignly to build his kingdom. And sometimes that could mean not having as much money as somebody else, but that shouldn't be a goal. Yeah. And, and this is right. a, this is a, actually a big problem in Christendom right now. Um, I don't want to share something with you. And, and by the way, if you want to look at this issue in more depth, we've only barely scratched, scratched the surface. Um, this is all stemming from an article, which I released um, through American vision. If you go to AmericanVision.org. You can uh, see it. So it's one of the first couple articles there. And um, what's it called? It's called uh, Material Blessing in the New Covenant, okay, I believe. Great. We'll link it. It's called, no, sorry. It's called What Happened to Material Prosperity in the New Testament. I should ah, know the title okay. of my own articles. <laughs> but I, I do want to share this because um, it does sort of highlight how much this is needed. So we got some feedback from this article. And, and we'll share feedback that we get from time to time and sort of also, absolutely, we it, welcome feedback. It, it does. So one of the, but this is great feedback. So the feedback is, and this gentleman gave me the permission to share this. He said, "I'm in tears, literal tears right now. Um, why haven't I seen this in the Bible before? It seems so clear. Of course, the God of the Old Testament is the same in the New Testament. There are differences, but we don't just ignore everything God said in the first two thirds of the Bible. All my life, I believed God. Had, God wanted me to be poor." but maybe God has other plans in mind for me. Um, he said, I never heard the phrase poverty gospel before reading this, but it instantly clicked for me. I knew exactly what that was. I began to repent for how I had misunderstood the Bible, how I had let a false idea color so much of how I looked at God. Now I'm in no danger of falling over into the other ditch of the prosperity gospel, but wow, I think my life just changed. Wow. Praise God. Praise God. It's amazing. Yeah. God's wow. law is good. Amen. Yeah. God's law is good. Uh, the psalmist says it's refreshing to the soul. Not many people talk like that. Yeah, or that he obsesses over your, I obsess over your rules and your statutes all the day long. Yeah. <laughs> but he w- was Obsession. David enslaved to the law? No. No. It, he was not in the least bit enslaved to the law because he appreciated it for the gift that it is. Well, and frankly, David, uh, he wasn't, he was under grace. He wasn't under Oh, don't even. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be a different discussion for another time. Um, One one last thing we wanted to chat about for a second, because I really want to hear from John. When we think, Jordan, of what you talked about in terms of covenantal sanctions and God's predictable sanctions and things that he does in history as a response to people violating his covenant, we we have a problem. I mean, a really, really big problem in America. Yes, we do. And we continue to kill our children and as a nation. And we have to, I mean, th- this is not, I mean, we, we realize a lot of people are blind to it. Um, the church has by and large become ageists. Um, and recently the state of New York passed another late term uh, abortion bill, not the only state, but right. I mean, when you think about this, especially on the heels of the March for life and that whole thing, this is, I mean, it's an atrocity. Mm. Absolutely. A lot of people say we have the most pro-life president ever with President Donald Trump. And we, we, we kind of see how this has gone with his Supreme Court nomination um, uh, 
goodness, so I can't Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, who, who voted in favor of uh, continuing the funding of Planned Parenthood. What a surprise. Now, dun, hold on. Dun, We're dun. shocked. Wait a minute. I was told two years ago I had to vote Republican to get a conservative nominee so that Roe v. White could be overturned. Well, you see, all of that is what I would like to call hogwash. <laughs> wow, that's a really generous term. I know. <laughs> yeah. Very generous. I could have gone a lot more colorful yeah. than that, justifiably so. Uh, but no, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the vast majority of the Supreme Court justices that have actually voted in favor of abortion, not just in Roe versus Wade, but also in, uh, um, gosh, I can't think of anything tonight. <laughs> oh, Planned Parenthood, Parenthood Casey. versus Gacy, yeah, yeah. right? Um, have been nominated by Republican presidents. Yeah. So that comes to like, what's going on in uh, New York state? Do they pass a law essentially making abortion legal up until birth? So the last day, even that is obviously horrendous. Mm. That is obviously horrendous. It is deeply sinful. It is murder period. But we also need to keep in mind, this is not the only state that does this. I'm happy that people are getting woken up about the abortion holocaust Mm -hmm. um obviously i'm not happy that this law passed but i am i am pleased that some people are at least talking about it enough Mm -hmm. we also need to be very very uh slow to become ageist in our thinking just because it's legal to kill babies the day before they're born doesn't mean that it's less horrendous to kill a child when they're much much younger Mm -hmm. perhaps when they don't look as human Mm -hmm. right Perhaps when maybe they're not even uh, detectable yet, mm-hmm. uh, maybe using uh, morning after pills mm-hmm. when it's not bloody and gross. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we see those bloody and gross abortion images and our heart cries out and we say, oh my goodness, that's terrible. And it is. And that is the correct response. But abortion isn't murder. Abortion isn't sin because it looks gross or because it looks like a human being murdered. It's murder and it's sin because it's the slaughter of the image bearer of God Amen. period whether it's the day before birth or whether it's a week after conception or a day after conception doesn't matter so yes obviously it's horrible what's going on in New York and yes I'm happy that some people are at least talking about abortion that might not have otherwise but we have to be very careful to not be ageist about this mm-hmm. very careful those babies that are now legal to murder and abortion in, in New York State, the day after birth, are no more image bears than God than the baby that's pre-implanted. Yeah. Or that's frozen somewhere. Exactly. In an IVF clinic. Exactly. Uh, another point is that if we make the overturning of Roe v. Wade the be-all and end-all, what happens when Roe v. Wade is overturned? It goes back to the states. And what are the state laws now on the books? All of these laws regulating abortion. Even if you have um, a heartbeat bill, or those will be the bills that end up um, allowing abortions to to continue in the new country where we have right. Roe v. Wade overturned. Exactly. Yeah. As soon as Roe v. Wade is overturned and Planned Parenthood versus Casey is overturned, as soon as those Supreme Court decisions are overturned, all of the pro-life regulationist bills in each individual state becomes the pro-choice bills. Amen. Right. And so what, Just like that. what we need to do, if we want to end abortion, we cannot adopt a strategy that will ensure over the next 30 to 40 years, um, 60, another 60 million will die rather than another 85 million. That is an unacceptable strategy because some people, well, it reduces the amount. No, 
We need righteous magistrates, civil magistrates now to stand up and do the right thing before God at the local level and not wait for, um, for the overturning of Roe v. Wade as if to do anything else would be a violation of Romans 13. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, the foundation of this is that every single civil magistrate, just like every elder of a local church or every father or every individual man, woman, or child, they answer to God first. Mm. They answer to God. And God demands justice, and God says this is murder. So yes. that is the first thing we need to recognize. Amen. So whether it is a, a governor of a state or a mayor of a city, or whether it's a county, uh, whatever kind of principality we're talking about, they have the just authority under God to abolish abortion within their jurisdiction. Amen. We need to be calling them to do that, period. And I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot about local things that we're doing uh, here in Virginia. And we want to really rally you guys out there, our audience, to get moving in your communities. And many of you are, and we're thankful and we praise God for that. But uh, a lot more to come on that topic. Yeah, and I Absolutely. should say this because I just found this out Monday at George Mason, or Tuesday at George Mason University. We were there um, doing some preaching and evangelism, talked to a journalist from live action. Wow. Okay. And he, which told is a big me, pro-life uh, yeah, organization. Yeah. He told me that I think that day or the day before, I don't remember exactly what he said, but they have plan B in vending machines across the campus. Oh yeah. I believe it. And this is the Netflix effect. Yes. I mean, let me explain that for a moment. That's the Netflix kind of a, and chill effect. Yeah, Not exactly. <laughs> what I mean is that, uh, because of a lot of the regulationism that's going on, more and also because of early detection technology, being able to detect uh, pregnancy earlier and earlier, what happens is that the very, very graphic, disturbing uh, surgical abortions that happen later, those are decreasing, which is, I su suppose, good, you know, decreasing abortions. But the problem is, is that it's really rearranging the chairs. What's happening is that earlier abortions are happening. And those are actually much more difficult to track. It's behind the scenes. It's more sterile. Uh, not exactly sterile, of course, but more sterile than a surgical abortion. So it's very much like um, you know, big box stores closing and then everybody going to Amazon. It's a change of the market, but it's not actually a change of like a decrease of using the product. We don't want to be like, um, well, nobody's actually watching movies anymore because Blockbuster closed. Right, and that's right. how a lot of pro-lifers look at abortion. They say, oh, look at all these mom and pop uh, abortion clinics that are closing. Well, yeah, okay, that's that's good, I suppose, but not really whenever Planned Parenthood is opening these mega abortion centers. It's a centralization of abortion. It's not a decrease of abortion. Yeah, it's become a do-it-yourself thing. Right, exactly. Take it, take the pill, go home, you'll be fine in a few days. End the life and get back, you know, get back on your... Uh, college campus doing your thing which is why in this again we'll come back to this but that's why we need a multifaceted approach when we talk about christian education when we talk about the role of evangelism and it's just shocking to me that so many are stale in their mm -hmm. faith and they don't see any sort of action orientation um to it yeah, it's certainly daunting when you have uh, Plan B in the vending machines, and it's just emblematic of the larger problems that we have, um, sy symptomatic 
And, but you know, on the positive side, we have the Holy spirit, right? We have the word of God at our fingertips. Um, and unlike Christians in many other countries, we have the ability to educate our children. Um, we have the ability to rise up, uh, to band together. It doesn't have, um, I think Rush Juni said that, uh, history is dominated by small minorities who are faithfully standing on the word of God. And so though the giant may look daunting and, and scary, uh, we know that we have God on our side. And so, you know, church, let's stand on uh, God, on the gospel. Let's stand on the fact that Christ has inherited all authority in heaven and on earth over the nations and proclaim the, the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus Christ Amen. and work every day, step by step into all the little things to faithfully obey God's law. And in the end, the enemy will not have a chance. So that that has to be our priority. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what we're about at Cross and Crown Church, and that's exactly what we're about at Cross and Crown Radio. It's exactly what you said, Jordan. It is daunting thinking about those plan B pills, but because we are preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and we're not just in favor of an abolition cause, mm-hmm. we will win. Amen. Because it's about the kingdom, mm-hmm. and you know, we we don't want to get too much in economics or anything, but we know what happens whenever easily to distribute drugs get criminalized, Mm -hmm. right? We just create a black market. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what's going to happen with plan B. If we do not preach the gospel, Mm -hmm. it may become illegal Mm -hmm. because of pro-life organizations, Mm -hmm. but things are not going to actually change. Babies will not actually be saved unless the gospel of the kingdom is preached. Amen. Amen. We say around here, Jesus is King, no neutrality, no exile, no surrender, man, guys, episode one in the books. Hey, yeah. Hallelujah. Man, I hope I'm looking forward to. Is there going to be an episode two? Oh man, <laughs> there will be a first ever episode two next week. <laughs> yeah, every every week it's a brand new. Is episode. there going to be Stone Cold Steve Austin intro music? Probably. Oh, goodness, I hope not. <laughs> we'll, we'll revisit that, or maybe something else. You never it's such know. Such a great song, I love it. Well, hey, thank you all for listening. Thanks for joining us. Um, I pray that you're edified, encouraged. I uh, certainly pray that you're going to get in the fight, get in the fight of the kingdom of God. And so, yeah, as we said, each Monday, we're going to drop a new episode and hopefully bless you for the week. Uh, Jordan, where can they find us online? You can find us and all of our sermons and a lot about what we're doing on our Facebook page, Cross and Crown Church, just uh, there on Facebook. You can uh, look at our website, crosscrownchurch.com. And uh, yeah. And Cross Cross and Crown Radio. And Cross Crown Radio is also a separate Facebook page, Cross Crown Radio. Um, And I believe, yeah. This is going to be on iTunes and all of that. All major podcast feeds. Absolutely. And remember, please remember us in your prayers and your giving. You can consider supporting the work of Crossing Frown. You can visit crosscrownchurch.com slash give. Well, that's it for us. Praise God. Praise God. uh, Look forward to seeing you next time.